This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Morena no maikiti korero, welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi o natangata o Manawatu. It is a Wednesday, it's hump day. Uh, that means we turn our attention to the media, which we haven't been able to do for the past couple of weeks, so it's good to get back on track right before we break up for Christmas for, for three weeks. Um, but we do have in the studio uh, Matthew Dallas, regional editor for Stuff. Good morning to you. Good morning, Fraser. And I suppose I should wish you a Merry Christmas because this is the last interview of. Uh, 2021 with you. Um, we'll discuss off air when you're coming back, but you'll be back in, in 2022. I will indeed. Uh, but yes, Merry Christmas and and, and all the rest of it. Um, but as I say, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been able to catch up with media, but a lot's happened literally in the past couple of days that's worth talking about. Of course, the weather, we're sat here now, it's looking gloriously sunny in Palmerston North, although you were saying in Fielding the clouds are rolling in again, so we're set for another day of rain. Well, at some point the rain will set in again. Um, and I know Met Service a couple of day, days ago were basically predicting rain right through to the 20th of December. So we're not out of the woods yet, and fielding got hit pretty hard on Monday. Yeah, Monday night was, uh, yeah, as a resident out there, it was pretty, it was interesting just that when those heavy bouts of rain come, and you think, oh, yeah, you're used to kind of getting this for 10, 15 minutes, but it was pretty constant for um, you know a good hour. And um, but it wasn't until dark till we kind of realised that there was obviously some sections sections of the community that were in a bit of strife with mm. uh, with the surface flooding and having to get pumps out and that sort of thing. Uh, I saw a map. I don't know if it was on Stuff or if it was MDC themselves. Um, they'd published a map showing where the affected properties were. And whilst there weren't swathes of affected properties, it was a pretty even spread across the whole, well, if you imagine that sort of ring road kind of mentality for fielding, pretty large, even spread throughout the, the town. Yeah, there was about, I think, 30 properties and um, – Maybe maybe a dozen or so um, sections of road that uh, that were on that map, and it was a really good resource to, to kind of look on on, mm. on social media on, on the night and the next morning. Um, and I think uh, from the what the council said, I think about twenty properties have have reported uh, damage to their homes, which I mean, where I guess water has has seeped seeped through. But I, I haven't heard of anything you know, mm. disastrous. And how much of that damage uh, from the seeping through came about from the tourists, as as uh, stuff has referred to them as? Yeah, well, we, we did catch up with a few residents yesterday and heard their stories. And one of the things that uh, they were pointing out was the amount of motorists who, were, I guess, were out having a look-see on, mm. on Monday night to see how bad things were. And it just uh, uh, compounded things by the the waves of, of water that it caused, you know, to, to rock up against their against their houses, so they, they certainly weren't impressed. And and there was was advice going out on on social media for people to stay in their homes, mm-hmm. not go go out. But um, 
Yeah, curiosity certainly got the best of some people. I I, I must, uh, I I feel a need to not be a hypocrite and say I have done that. I have taken the kids out in the car when it's been flooding and and going, I think there's even a video on my Facebook page when we did it at the time. It is fun, but it is obviously um, detrimental to people who are actually suffering at the the front of that. Um, Bit of a testament, though, to the maintenance work of Horizons and MDC, because you were saying on Tuesday morning, most of that water had managed to drain away. Yeah, in terms of ha- having a bit of a drive around, uh, the town looked looked pretty good. Looked like it just had had a um, you know a bit of rain overnight, really, other th- than that main um, the state highway into town, which uh, that was causing traffic to slow and get a bit congested. With I think one of one lane was uh, was still mm. quite flooded, and they were working on pumps out there for you know for a wee while into the day. Was it two thousand and four or the, the 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 last big big floods? Yeah, 2004 was the was the really big, pretty much national disaster mm-hmm. where we had, uh, I think, at least three rivers broke their banks um, in the area. And I mean, it was before I was certainly living here, but I was here in 2014 when we did a thing at 10th anniversary, and mm-hmm. I sort of got to learn a lot of the the stories and the heartache, and um, you know, it's the houses lost. Um, um, and you know, and lives lost back in 2004, and then I think 2014, there, we had a, some serious mid middle of the year. There was some really serious flooding, but it was more Rangatiki, mm-hmm. Wanganui. I remember uh, Tingmawana got really badly hit. Um, so your yeah, fielding got off probably a bit lighter in yeah. that one. But I, I guess um, where I'm going is from 2004 to 2021. Have, has the infrastructure changes that have been implemented, is that the reason fielding looked pretty normal on Tuesday morning? Well, I think it certainly looked a lot better than what it probably what would have done 20, you know, uh, 15, 20 years ago. And it is always interesting when, when there is a real massive downpour and you think, I wonder what that would have, um, you know, or maybe if, or if a river breaks its banks, what would have that the impact of that been fifteen twenty years ago? Because I mean, there was a lot of you know infrastructure work, and I think Horizons are still um, you know staying pretty good on top of it. And with the information that goes out around um, you know whether the the gates are, are closed at Makino and the Motua flood gates when they're opened, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's already. Uh, are, are stuff going to be following this in terms of trying to get a cost of the damages or, or is it going to be not insignificant but not worth sort of following up? Is this all going to be private homeowner damage and, and insurance claims and the like? Yeah, we'll have to see, I guess, see what sort of reports might come up at the councils in terms of uh, whether there's an assessment of of damage. Um, I kind of just heard nothing really confirmed, just a bit, you know, some roads, there may have been some lifting of seal mm-hmm. Um and that sort of thing, but yeah, it's still kind of pretty early days to work out whether it's just kind of a, a private private matter for for homeowners to sort out or something bigger. Fair enough. Uh, we're here with Matthew Dallas, regional editor for Stuff, uh, looking at what they've been reporting on in Manawatu. Um, whenever we talk about the sort of the, the health system, the headline grabbers are you know the reform that's coming in with the the, the Maori uh, focused component and agency, uh, or we talk about mental health is a huge one, and that is relevant in Palmerston North as well. But occasionally, this one it, this one seems to be a bit more South Island uh, relevant, but it's coming to Palmerston. North as well, a midwife shortage. We've got um, two more midwives are leaving the maternity unit here, so it's it's critically understaffed now. Yeah, and it's something that has been in the news for for some time, and looking at different measures too. I think bolster their their ranks, but they just can't keep on top of it in terms of people leaving, uh, whether it's leaving the profession or leaving mid central. Um, it's certainly something that has been in the news or 
around the country and we're certainly, I think, better off than um, some more remote parts. Mm-hmm. I know the um, East Coast uh, really struggles. I think there's like one midwife that takes care of you know, a, a good chunk of, of, um, of that East Coast. Um, but this is the yeah, I guess this is the, the maternity unit at, at Mid Central where um, yeah, they're now I think going to be five five under what what their number should be, um, and they've got a couple leaving and a few part timers, and there is the implications there of the people not wanting to be vaccinated as well, so mm. leaving the job. So it's, it's made the whole situation harder, um, but I think it's also quite um, it's reflective I think of health professionals. Yeah. In, in general, across in, in the regions, it's just uh, it's very difficult to recruit staff. Well, I mean, if, it, if the department is understaffed and you are overworked and it's not getting any better, that is going to result in even more significant understaffing because people are just going to walk away. Yeah, and I think anyone who's uh, used uh, a midwife can probably appreciate that the the rosters they work to and the times that they're working. It's um, oh, know, they don't it, get time off. It's a different yeah, it's well, a different on lifestyle. Paper they, on paper, they do, but you know, they get called at three o'clock in the morning because someone's gone into labour. You, you, they get up and go. It's 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 a bizarre. Working relationship, I guess. So, if if they're understaffed by five, is this meaning that some people are not getting mid, midwife care, or is it becoming one of those situations where a midwife is overseeing? This is where my knowledge sort of falls apart. Just as sort of general practice nurses that are looking after is it? Because you know, you know, when you go to the the, the hospital, you very rarely see the doctor. The doctor is looking after you, but he's looking after a whole load of people, and it's the sort of the underlings that are, are doing the actual like face to face and work and stuff is it becoming that situation? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, whether they're having to bring, uh, I guess, trying to get midwives who aren't part of that maternity unit crew to kind mm-hmm. of come in and help help, or if it's people doing extra shifts. Um, yeah, so that, but the word is, yeah, I guess, the capacity to to be able to handle. Um, yeah, I guess the amount of births, births coming mm. through is going to be really strained, and there's, yeah, there's some pretty stressed out workers. And I, I don't want to be uh, glib or, 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 or rude at all, but with the lockdowns that we've had and people not being able to leave their home, we could be expecting a bit of a boom here. Um, <laughs> po- yeah, possibly. I haven't seen any, uh, I guess, uh, studies on that, but um, it's not out, of, not out of the question. Indeed. Uh, let's uh, move on. Uh, you did a, an editorial on Saturday. This is a, a very peculiar peculiar proposal uh, from the City Council. Um, they're wanting a code of conduct rule that restricts the councillor's ability to speak to media um, without the mayor's blessing. And, and I find this interesting because, A, you've got to identify what media actually is. Is this a blog on an internet or is this stuff or is this access radio? Um, but also doesn't seem particularly democratic to me. Yeah, and it's just I guess asking the question: What, why this, and why now? Mm. Um, it's well, has someone spoken out of turn? Do we know? Well, we I cannot recall a single uh, example where a councillor has misrepresented um, their views mm. as, as being a, a, I guess a decision or a, um, you know a mandate of, of, mm. of the council, um, and that's what essentially the rule is. It's around councillors um, speaking on behalf of the council. Um, whether that's as the membership of that council, whether it, that's the you know kind of uh, Palmer Yink, the I guess the the business side mm, of it, mm. um, I haven't haven't seen any any examples of that, and it's um, yeah, it's just a, a bizarre thing to come up 
um, so yeah, why they need to add that to the code of conduct when it's it doesn't really happen, and whether it just sends a message to the councillors that they're better to keep their mouth shut or they're better to leave the mayor to be the voice of mm. the council. Um, but I guess the point I was trying to make is that we actually need to know um, from our other elected officials, we need to know their perspectives, we need them to be out there in the media, out there in the community, so we can ascertain their performance well, when I- it comes to elections whether we vote them back in or not. Well, exactly. And and even going so far as um, acknowledging that, you know, if we could see them in the council chambers demonstrating their opinions, that would be great. But a lot of the time they're workshopping issues. They've come, they've had their debates behind closed doors and they just come out and vote without any discussion. So if you're not seeing that discussion, if they can't speak to the media, when do we get to know if they're actually doing their job properly or not, in our opinion. Yeah, well, a lot of the time it just comes down to once every three years um, and it's usually, yeah, they'll be standing on a pulpit um, saying all the great things they're going to do. Um, but, yeah, and it's not certainly not something that's just at Palmy Council, but at councils everywhere in terms of workshopping mm. um, issues and then it, the formal meetings become a bit of a rubber stamping exercise yeah. and, and there isn't much uh, debate, discussion. It's harder to gauge where people stand. Um and I think you're particularly going into the local body elections next year. The last thing we need to be doing is, I think, encouraging our elected officials not not to speak. And um, I think the the proposed code of conduct says, you know, that yes, they can still speak in a personal capacity. But if you're an elected official and you you know you've got a position of of influence, you don't really have a, a you know your personal um, Personal view and your political view are exactly the same. Mm. You're, you, I think you are always representing the council. So, so is this quite nuanced then? Or is it saying you cannot represent the city council as a whole, but you can represent your own personal views in the media? Is that what it's yes, saying? Yes, you can still represent your own personal views, but that's I think that's all they're ever well they're all they're ever asked for is their is yeah. their view as a councillor. So whether that um, that is considered. Personal just, or political, it's all the same same thing to me. So, because I mean, like we, we speak to councillors on a fortnightly basis here on on NPR, and it's always speaking to ex councillor about the decisions that have been made and their personal take on them. And some are more um, forthright than others, but that's fine. That's that's how it goes. Again, it just makes me think that someone has been given a, a talking to for representing the council, but I can't think of what that would might be, and certainly on what scale that would be to cause someone to get their the hairs up. No, and I've you know I mean I used to have been a journalist for over twenty years, and I can think of one example where, and it wasn't in Palmerston North where a councillor uh, sent sent out a political statement on council letterhead, right? Um, and yet they got a slap on the wrist. Uh, we certainly knew that it was just his view; it wasn't representing council, and you know, so it didn't really become a story or anything. So. Um, and that, that's the closest thing. So it's just, um, so yeah, I mean, it's unusual. So as you say, the sort of the the workshopping of ideas and the council meetings being rubber stamping exercises that is not unique to Palmerston North. Would this code of conduct rule be unique to Palmerston North? Um, I'm not sure. I know there's uh, of other councils where they've certainly moved away from having. Um, uh, giving councillors, say, agency in terms of like a portfolio or of, say they might be the councillor who talks on arts and culture mm. or the environment and they, and they have a closer relationship with certain officers um, and some of those councillors and they've moved away from that over the last 10, 15 years to 
running a lot more through the mere. Mm. Um, well, actually, that's a very interesting point because Grant Smith brought in portfolios. The mayor of Palmerston North, as it stands at the moment, brought in the portfolios to allow councillors to focus on specific areas. If they then can't represent the council's position on that area, what is the point of the portfolios? Yeah, yeah, who, <laughs> who, yeah, who knows? Am I and I, to yeah, the choir, and there yeah. are certainly there are several councils, particularly smaller councils, where um, you know I've had reporters oh, go and canvas the council, see what they have to say, and, and you're often faced with. I'll leave it to the mayor, or no, I can't. You know, you know, you best to go to the mayor on this. You know, mm. that, that's the point person kind it's of like thing. Asking your parents for permission, isn't it? It's it a is little, it's a little the, belittling. The community just just doesn't get a gauge of who these people are. They can't really see them um, perform well or perform badly, mm. um, and representing them at, uh, on the council. And I think going going into lo- local body elections next year, where we're introducing multi wards, um, that has. You know, further implications of how are those representatives going to? Um, are you going to silence your Maori councillors and let the 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 mayor talk on behalf? Of, oh, well, that's going to be novel. Yeah. Um, well, we'll watch that one with interest. I I particularly will because I might have a slot to fill on 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 the catch up next year yeah. if we can't speak to the city councillors anymore. Um, we are here with Matthew Dallas, regional editor for Stuff on the Catch Up. If you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch Up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. Also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, accessmedia.nz, wherever you get your online listening. Um, speaking of council performance, um, this seems a little late out of the gate. Rangitiki Council are uh, just beginning to assess its quake-prone buildings. This seems at least two years too late. Um, yeah, I guess to the credit, they have assessed, I think, our 170 um, privately owned buildings, right, okay. um, which I imagine d- takes a fair bit of their resource, whether it's their resource or it's contracted out, I'm mm. not sure. Um, but yeah, this kind of, I guess, came up in the last couple of weeks when they, in Tai Happy, the, um, I think it's the, the, the town hall and the library that was found to only meet 10% of code, so they've had to vacate that building. Um, and I think they've got through about four um, four of their buildings so far, but they couldn't really tell us how many they've got to go. Um, Andy Watson, the mayor, has said that it is a genuine concern whether they are going to hit this 2025 mm-hmm. deadline that the government imposed, but he was also still quite confident that they could do it. But looking at the example of, I guess, the uh, entire Happy at Memorial Park, the grandstand, which um, and they've taken four years j- um, looking at how to strengthen that, and they still haven't quite got to a decision. Mm. So as a common reader, you're kind of thinking, good, you know, there's a lot to do and not a lot of time, and it is an issue. Um, it's an issue in many of our communities, these older older buildings with high earthquake-prone earth, um, risk, um, which I think before COVID it was in the, in the news a lot, yeah. and then COVID happened and everyone's talking about three waters, and, um, well, this the clock's still ticking here. Um and you have to wonder, come 2025 is actually, you know, what, what is the government going to do? Well, I mean, well, I, mean the, I was going to ask, what, what, the, the deadline doesn't really mean anything because if you assess a building before 2025 and it doesn't meet code, you have to shut its doors. So when it gets to 2025, if there's a building that hasn't been assessed, you just have to shut its doors until it's assessed. And if it's good, it can reopen again. The deadline... It's not as scary and imposing as it might be. If they're if they're like ninety percent of the way through the project, and they've got ten percent of their buildings left, and they have to shut a couple for a year or so until they sort it out. That's basically what it boils down to, isn't it? 
Yeah, and it's just hard to know, I guess, what uh, if they're still trying to work out the state of some of these buildings, whether, whether they are going to be upgraded, at what cost they're going to be upgraded. You know, are some going to be demolished? Mm. Um, yeah, be a fair, fair bit to work through, and um, so the, know, some of it may require a bit of community engagement as well. The library you were saying only met ten percent of the code, so that sounds like a demolition job when it's um, saying ten yeah, percent. Yeah, it sounds like a big job to fix and um, and tie happy. Mm. Um, we've got about eight minutes left. Uh, we wanted to talk about uh, the Lake Alice former staffer entering a not guilty plea. Um, we had the benefit of, um, I think the last media catch-up was with Jimmy Ellingham from RNZ, and we sort of went into the story of Lake Alice in quite a bit of detail and, and Selwyn Leaks over in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- this this is bizarre to enter a not guilty plea. Uh, yeah, I mean... I mean, obviously that, that could change. It's, um, a big part of, I guess, that the hearing yesterday was around uh, there's the name suppression as well, which the indication from that hearing is that, that they won't be fighting to, to try to keep that. Mm-hmm. They, um, the accused will be, um, I guess, wanting to, I think, uh, contest this in the light, um, but wants the time to, I guess, speak to family. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's, to me it's, it's just still quite amazing that, I guess, uh, we're looking – 40, 50 years later, um, we've got someone's got a day in court. Um, yeah. Probably shouldn't be the only one. Um, and this is the thing. I mean, Lake Alice has come out and, and, and these charges are being pressed. But this is part of a nationwide uh, inquiry, government-funded uh, impartial inquiry into abuse in state care. This is the tip of the iceberg, which is horrifying. You know, Merry Christmas. Yeah, I mean, almost as, as horrifying as the... I guess the, the stories from from the victims that came out during the um, during the inquiry was, uh, you know, reading about the, the number. The, the the previous police investigations that kind of came to to nothing, or or just the lack of um, engagement from the wider medical profession into and into looking into it. Over time, it was just like everyone was either asleep at the wheel or. Um, Turning a blind eye. This is the thing. I mean, it's the same with the Me Too movement. It's the same with the whole BBC scandal back in in the day. It's the same here. People knew and didn't do anything about it. And and the the mind boggles how people's brains work. Yeah, and for this, uh, you know, and for the person who's charged, I mean, they will, um, yeah, whether it's a jury or whoever will come come to their judgment on on what what happens. There, but they, I guess they will become the face of something that yeah. they, uh, either way, probably don't deserve to be the only face of. No, um, no, that's very true. Um, we are here with Matthew Dallas, regional, ed- uh, regional editor for Stuff on the Catch Up. It's the end of 2021. Do you remember the end of 2020, Matthew, where everyone was optimistic that 2021 would be better and we'd see the other side of the pandemic, and it's turned into an absolute mess. Uh, what are your thoughts on 2022? Um, 2022 going forward? Um, well, it's, I don't, it's, hard, it's hard to see us, I guess, going into more, more lockdowns. Mm. Um, hopefully we get to, get to a space where there's less uh, I guess, social um, disharmony around vaccines. Um, hopefully we I guess, get, get over that, that, that 90% and mm. we've got a lot, a lot of people just Doing the things they want to do again, but it's still going to be, you know. I know if, uh, a lot of people they kind of compartmentalise their the year into periods, and they have the, you know, there's their holiday to look forward mm-hmm. to, or their concert to go to, and there's so much of that has just been probably stripped out of our lives. Yeah. And um, whether we can get a little bit of that back would be um, 
would be nice. And Jumping from lockdown to lockdown is not a way to measure your year. It isn't. And I guess there's going to be a decision that's going to be made around um, depending what state the country's in in terms of local body elections and if there is now that power to delay them mm-hmm. um, for a year, which would put them in the same year as a general election, which could be um, well, the mind boggles <laughs> the possibility of managing that. Um, but, yeah, I think everyone just kind of has to, you know, digs in again and hopefully uh, – and get a bit of a breather over the over the summer. Mm, here's hoping. Uh, any highlights from 2021 in the in the media space? Any big stories that you were particularly proud of? Um, probably the ones that stand stand out earlier in the year around May when we had, um, I guess, a lot of our local authorities making decisions around uh, whether to to bring in the multi wards, mm-hmm. and obviously we had uh, Manawatu Council made a decision, initial decision not to, which then. Uh, Led to a, you know, I guess a political um, civic action mm-hmm. by the, um, the Hapu who had formed the, the council committee I to kind of walk away. The largest civic action that Fielding had ever seen. Yeah, it was it was remarkable, and it's um, yeah, just to see uh, yeah, I guess democracy work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was great, particularly when we've used when we've seen uh, probably in the last couple of years um, civil action or protest be kind of warped into different. Things for certain agendas, whether it be in the US or or even here, to, and it really was just about giving um, giving community a voice. Um, mm. And I thought, yeah, I thought it was uh, remarkable, and I was really, really proud of our reporting of it, both in terms of words and um, yeah, the great images that um, still sort of burn in my brain from mm. that our VJs were able to get. It, it's been a bit of a bumpy year for Manawatu District Council, really, hasn't it? Um, yeah, we had that, and um, we had yeah, there's a, some great work that Sinead Gill did with some um, her, uh, an OIA that revealed some emails that really showed that there was uh, yeah some deep wounds or fractions amongst amongst the council and um, it, yeah it seemed a little bit some of the uh, relationships mm-hmm. seemed a bit childish and there were it reminded accusations me. in various various ways but you know, rem- the Fab Four it, yeah well the, the yeah. Fab Four it reminded me of the the tight eight in Palmerston North City Council back I think when Tangi. Uh, um, Heather Tange was mayor. Um, obviously, that sort of segregation and divide, but that that was played out in public from the beginning. Whereas that this has come out from the from closed doors. Yeah, and it was it was pretty pretty uh, revealing and yeah, quite interesting and unusual, I suppose, for um, you know a councillor's um, mental health to be to be played out in public, particularly in a, in a day and age where I think the, you, you would think there'd be, I guess, a lot more awareness. Um, Around how those kind of uh, accusations we make, so it was, it was basically, I guess, uh, around job job performance and, mm-hmm. and and claiming someone wasn't me- mentally fit to to work on council. Um, but these accusations were being made by people who had really no expertise. No, uh, the, 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 on sub- the matter. No, no, so, no subtlety mm-hmm. or, or uh, finesse. Yeah, to and it just seemed. Yeah, I think. Political points, a lot of political points scoring behind, yeah, in public and behind the scenes, just that didn't look good for anyone. And uh, yeah, I mean, if that's the only way we're going to be able to find out how councils are operating in the future, then uh, go journalism, because if OIAs are the only way, if people, as we discussed earlier, there's no other way to find out how they're performing, then that's going to be a good thing. No, they're not inviting us to the workshops, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think that door will remain firmly closed. Uh, Matthew Dallas, uh, regional editor from Stuff, thank you for joining us on the catch up this morning and uh, have a very Merry Christmas and we'll talk to you in 2022.
Oh, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, there we go. That wraps up uh, our look at media for 2021. Uh, we'll be back uh, from the week of the 10th uh, next year. Uh, we'll be bringing the catch-ups back into play. Uh, tomorrow would normally be our uh, chat with Mayor Helen Warboys from Manawatu District Council, but our schedules have clashed. We're not able to do that. Uh, but we will be rounding out the year with an interview with Tangi Utikeri, Member of Parliament for Palmerston North. Uh, that will be kicking off at half past eight on Friday do join us for that. If you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. We'll be back on Friday at half past eight. Do join us then. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.